current exhibition in the Morrissey Gallery is called Moving Pictures. It's an example of a print portfolio exchange. So uh, printmakers in the printmaking biz, they like to get together with their friends and put together a portfolio of all of their prints. And if they each make an addition, then they each get a copy from each other. It's complicated to describe, but basically anyone who takes part gets a collection of all the prints that are in the collective. So every couple of years we try to put together a print portfolio exchange. And um, this time we, we were going to sit down with one of the artists in the portfolio. Her name's Cassie Hall, but she bailed. Then, then we were supposed to have Allison Philly, who originally put together the show, and then she bailed. So we ended up with Joseph Lappy, our printmaking professor, and Neil Ashleman, another art, artist in the uh, collective. And we actually had a really wonderful conversation about printmaking and each of their processes and um, had a good turnout for the reception, too. The show is called Moving Pictures, and uh, Allison Philly, who could not be here today because of sickness, Ooh. she might have the flu, uh, in the past it always helped uh, coordinate this show, but um, now that she's not here, and instead we have uh, three of the artists that are in the portfolio, Joseph Lappy, Neil Ashleman, and myself are uh, here to talk about their pieces and also just the show in general. So. Um, just to start it, for anyone who is curious about what a print portfolio is, the basic idea is you ask a bunch of print printers to get together and make an edition of prints, which is a, a, a stack of the same print, in this case 18. So we asked each of these artists to make 18 of the same print using whatever technique they wanted to use. And then they mail them to us, and then we collate all... 18 or 16 of the 18 copies, you know, so there's 16 sets of 18 copies. We collate them into um, uh, batches and then we mail them back out to each of them. So each artist that participates gets their own set of all of the prints. So it's a nice way, and printmakers have been doing this, Joseph can talk about this, printmakers have been doing this for years. It's a traditional way for printmakers to have a sense of community, but also to get a bunch of great artwork on the cheap. Um, you know, the, the conferences, the printmaking professional conferences are a way, are a lot of ways, are, are one of the ways in which these portfolios um, get marketed and uh, invitations are sent out and you can apply for them. A lot of times you have to pay to apply for them. Uh, we don't, we don't, and you have to pay to take part in them. We don't take any money. We just uh, put out an open call and we get as many artists as we can together. Uh, some years we've had trouble getting 16. Uh, sometimes we've had to actually uh, turn people away. So it just depends Depends on the year, depends on the theme. Uh, we always correlate the theme to what the College of Art, Arts and Sciences theme is. So this year's theme is visual narratives, and so Allison came up with the idea of moving pictures for the theme. Cookies. I want a cookie. Um, so, uh, moving pictures was the title of the show, and it also, you know, it was the invitation to um, create any any kind of image you wanted on that idea of moving pictures. And you know, with visual narratives and moving pictures, you think TV, movies, and comic books. That's sort of where most everyone went. You know, that's where you went. 
So maybe I'll, first question is for Neil. You want to you want to describe your your comic book panel, what how you made it, what it's what it's about. Sure. So I'm a an associate professor in the biology department, and I have to have an outlet for my weird that doesn't <laughs> come through in my science. It comes through in the classroom, performing daily, and then in my hobby is uh, an artist. So I've been drawing monsters and scary stuff since I was a little kid. I grew up in the heyday of Ghostbusters, and it <laughs> never quite went away. Uh, my wife, I think, sometimes wishes that it would, although she is the most supportive person I've ever met. Um, yeah. And this kind of came back up when I was in grad school and not super happy. And those of us who have been through grad school can probably relate to that. Some of the rest of you will find out in the next few years. So every year for Halloween, I do some kind of comic book style ode to Halloween just to keep me from going insane. Hmm. Um, now that I have a full-time job, time has kind of dried up. Um, but when the, the moving pictures visual narratives theme came along, it was a nice opportunity to for the first time, not just online in my own little weird corner of cyberspace, put something out there. So I had just a concept for a one-page horror comic shot um, based on some themes that, that are kind of near and dear to me. Um, Bloodborne, my son plays Bloodborne. Mm -hmm. you're, so you're a gamer? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's another way that you uh, blow off steam. <laughs> Since from, 83, uh, yes. You've been gaming hard? Okay. I, I throw down with the best of them. You know, my son is really into bio biology, too. That's Excellent. pretty interesting. Send so, him our yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have him come around and talk to you sometime. Um, what, what is it about Bloodborne? I mean, I, I've seen him play the game. It's pretty gross. I mean, there's a lot of blood being thrown around. There's a lot of blood being thrown around. But what, what is it about that universe or that world, the world building around that game that... Uh, interests you. So that particular game, I, I drew inspiration for the, the kind of neo-gothic art style, which I really okay. like. But I've always been a fan of horror and, and weird fiction, weird with a capital W. Um, mm -hmm. Lovecraft, uh, mm -hmm. Aldrin Blackwood, guys like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoy stories where you don't get the full picture. It's kind of the opposite of my job here, where I'm supposed to give short, clear, concise descriptions of weird phenomena that we call life. Um, and in weird fiction, it's hard to define, but it might be something like, there's something very wrong here, we'll never know quite what it was. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of working in negative space. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like that. I like concepts of unreliable narrators. I like mm -hmm. issues of free will versus internal and external coercion. Mm -hmm. um, probably my favorite work that deals with that is Pet Cemetery. so I hope the new movie does a better mm -hmm. job of it. Mm -hmm. So all that kind of came together with the new type of, of art direction influence into a story about someone who is being driven to do something and it may be his fault and it may not be. Yeah, my, my reading of the page is that there's maybe different levels of reality happening there or it's shifting in and out of different, maybe there's simultaneous universe or maybe there's a hallucination or maybe there's a, yeah, this He's being compelled or he's acting. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of ambiguity in that page. Yeah, in, in my short description, I like to talk about small personal stories in the background of, of very big things happening. Uh -huh. And for the podcast listeners, I'm using scare quotes. <laughs> <laughs> big things, yeah. Yeah, big things being like, he, he's, uh, it appears to be a, a, a guy in um, 19th century, late 19th century England, maybe, initially. Perhaps. And then, and then maybe he's in medieval 
maybe or some fantastic realm. Like he's switching back and forth between uh, uh, a space that's maybe um, more civilized and a space that's more violent. Right? Yeah, yeah, stuff that might be all around you that you can't see. Mm. Hmm. And this is a comic book, a traditional kind of a traditional comic book panel, but it's been made digitally. Is that yes. right? So I drew the whole thing over the course of last summer while listening to a lot of Astros games uh, in Photoshop CS6, <laughs> and you know, storyboarded it out, and then executed each individual panel, laid it out, tweaked it. Uh, huh. Usually, when I do stuff online, you know, I try to take advantage of the medium, and you don't have fixed boundaries, mm -hmm. so you can go wherever you want to in space. But this was a fun challenge to really practice drawing the eye and laying out individual elements so they would try to come together. Yeah. So, I yeah. Hope it worked. so you don't often, you like you haven't made like a whole comic, or this kind of, the comic panel is sort of a new, new structure. It, it's been a while. The last one I did in fixed panels was 2012. Hmm. I took a few years off and then did kind of a freeform one where you scroll in strange directions online. Hmm. That was a couple years ago. Hmm. The Bone Garden. Okay. You go to neilashelman.com and you'll want to look up the spelling of my name in the episode description. <laughs> exactly. Find those exactly. Yeah, we'll make sure that's spelled correctly there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you have an interest in comics that goes back as well. Yeah. We, I, all, uh, we all have an interest in comics. The three of us have come out of that heritage, it sounds like. My, my childhood best friend's parents, who were my second parents, um, the dad was Terry Moore, and he was a, and still is, a super successful indie comic book artist and writer. Mm -hmm. So he transitioned out of TV editing in the early 90s when I was around 10, and then <clears throat> launched his first comic, Strangers in Paradise, to almost immediate acclaim, and he was just my other dad. And hmm. I would go with him to, you know, San Diego Con, and all of a sudden I'm really? 16 riding shotgun in Jim Lee's Porsche while he was doing X-Men. What? Um, Are you serious? So I very nearly went to art school. Um, hmm. But then as my sweet departed grandma said, the science got me. And I <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> so you know Jim Lee, huh? Or you met him at least. Back in the day. Wow. And he was Terry driving around Moore, in Porsche. Terry Moore is more important to me. Wow. I'm down with him. So was he old school, you know, drawing it by hand? Terry? Yeah, he still does. And he's still started, restarted Strangers in Paradise. That just wrapped, and he's got a new series coming out called Five Years, and he still sits down in his home in Houston and draws everything by hand, pencil and ink. Wow. And he's a cool guy. Wow. No, Jim Lee is the bigger one for me, personally, just because of the whole image thing. That was my yeah. sweet spot image in the early 90s. Are we going to fight about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm going to look up I'm gonna look up Terry for sure now, mm -hmm. but uh, no, I, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, <laughs> So you want to talk about comics a little, or and how it, just just to riff off of that? Uh, I don't know. Would you have read Terry Moore back in the day? As a kid? I did. Yes. No. I yeah. I picked up Strangers in Paradise from the beginning. Huh. Yes, I wow. did. Yep. And I met him several times at uh, uh, Comic Cons as well. Uh, you weren't sitting next to him at that time, or maybe you were. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you guys knew each other. <laughs> Little stringy gang like yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fatso? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Hi! Would you like a t-shirt or perhaps a bookmark? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that I don't know necessarily that this, 
the work that's in here mm-hmm. has anything to do with that. But I would say that the idea of the visual narrative and the idea of that sequential thought process has been paramount in mm-hmm. everything that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm not a, a avid or even a collector of comics at this point in time in my life, but I started in 1983 and collected for about right until my first son was born and I couldn't afford it anymore. And then I just kind of like cycled out. And um, But I think it's a, it's a, I think it gets a lot more credit now than it used to. I think it was really a, a marginalized and uh, niche where like the idea is that it was for kids for a long time or that um, uh, it wasn't really dealing with anything serious. But it's kind of funny because, you know, we have novels that we love and we have paintings that we love, but suddenly when you put the two together, right. uh, it's like for kids. <laughs> right. yeah. And it's because the first thing that we learn is, is how to read through simple books that have pictures mm-hmm. that uh, have a redundancy to it, but it's a redundancy in order to learn. Right. Um, you only get a picture once every chapter. Yeah, maybe a frontispiece to a chapter or something. Yeah, but I mean, even even as the earliest books, like you know, where's my dog? <laughs> you know, you get six pages, and it's like, is your dog here? And it says, no, your dog's not here. Uh, and so, yes, that's obviously for kids, but it's also a really great introduction into the history of how we gained language in the first place, visual language. Sure. sure. Um, you know, the earliest writings were pictographs. They were. They were things that said, I need uh, uh, a hand, and so you would draw a hand, and then that hand turned sideways, and then now suddenly it only had three things, and it became an E. Right. Um, right. So I didn't have that knowledge at the, in the 80s. I just liked it because there was a bunch of cool people doing cool things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but looking back on it, and as I became an adult, and as an artist, uh, really thinking about the uh, identity identity of um, uh, we are us, like we we have shared commonality. We have these things that happen that we can all empathize and fear and love. For me, a lot of those comics, um, at least the well done ones, mm-hmm. uh, harness that connectivity of of life. And sometimes through lasers, but oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes not, right? Like, like we, yeah. we only think of the bad examples and you dismiss, yeah. you dismiss it because you're like, well, that's Superman or that's Batman or, or whoever your favorite character is. But you're finding comics from 120 years ago. They're dealing with real life, serious events, um, that, that people just need that break from, and you need that caricature. Yeah. Like, it's a way of breaking down reality into a way of understanding things that isn't so painful mm-hmm. off the time. Like, it's not as painful when it's superheroes doing it, because right. there's action involved. Right, right. And so, and so, to me, that's what the visual narrative is really all about, is that connective voice. Yeah, I mean, I... I really think of the superheroes as our our contemporary myths, you know, and particularly with Hollywood taking on the superheroes so much now in popular culture, 
we look at Captain America as if he were Odysseus or previous yeah. god, you know? I mean, they're, they're the, the heroes that we attach so much cultural baggage to now that have replaced the ones from previous cultures, you know? So. Well, they're all rooted in that mythology as well. Like, yeah, our yeah. main, one of our main superheroes is Thor, who's been a, right. like, <laughs> right. a very well-established yeah. god for thousands of But he's never been funnier. But he's never been funnier. <laughs> <laughs> he was much, much more of a horrible, horrible yeah, yeah. creature. Yes. Some pretty intense yeah, character flaws, for sure. Um, all right, so I'd like to talk about the individual pieces, but also the scope of the show, too, because uh, with this visual narrative theme and the idea of moving pictures, there are a whole bunch of different types of prints in here. And, you know, you guys have both had a chance to kind of take a look at the show. Which of these stand out to you as uh, particular examples of... Um, Interesting printmaking for one, or interesting visual narratives for another. Not to put anyone on the spot. But. They're looking at me, and I'm the biologist. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was really surprised by just the breadth of expression. So I was first done. I was the only one that actually did a comic. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> which which I didn't expect. Um, but everything from you know simple and elegant fluid geometric patterns to, you know, contemporary kind of pop art to, you know, interesting prints on beautifully textured paper. I can see a few of these probably going up in my home when we're done. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. The I've enjoyed it. This shit is nice for that, yeah. Have a, have a, have one frame that you can, uh, there are all the prints are the same size, so you can switch the prints out from time to time and put a different one up, you know, so. Just you have one in particular that uh, really uh, draws well, your eye. I'm gonna forget her name, but it's the the one. Oh that yeah, yeah, Danielle about. Burns. The Danielle one, Burns. So down in the last case, the one in the middle in the last case. Uh, it's uh, uh, three uh, women in a river or a larger stream. Um, a mixture of screen printing, relief, uh, and laser cut. So I also really like that idea of. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, in a lot of things you you get tied down to a particular thing. Like you're uh, you're a printmaker, okay, that's fine. Do you do relief? Do you do litho? Do you do screen print? And then you kind of get defined by being that one thing, um, and that's fluid everywhere. But what I like about that is mm -hmm. is utilizing multiple process in a in a pretty successful way. And and Chris and I talked a little bit about it, and it the composition is kind of funny. Uh, it's it's not necessarily the best composition in the world, but the the printing is wonderful. Um, and then when you start thinking about what the at least what my perceived notion of the story behind it is, which is these three women in a stream, the stream's going towards uh, a, a quite large um, uh, factory with smokestacks with stuff spewing out of it that kind of goes into uh, clouds. And sometimes it's clouds, and sometimes it's not. And, and you can't really access it, but there's a there's a movable yeah. wheel aspect, so you yeah. can actually change the clouds into the smoke yeah. smokestack. Uh, and suddenly, that uh, that kind of um, really claustrophobic, not quite right composition makes a lot more sense yeah. because they're all looking at this thing, 
and they're all, you would look at the colors, and initially the colors are greens and blues, which are colors in nature, but they're also the color of what you would think of as like toxic yeah. uh, outpouring. And yeah. there's this river coming from this place, or at least assumed uh -huh. to be coming near that place. Um, and so to me, it's like that one moment of realization uh, where something's wrong and everything kind of focuses in and it becomes claustrophobic. It becomes um, uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable print, yeah. Yeah, and so if you look at it as only a snapshot of an image, you might say, well, this, like, it's beautifully done, but it's not a great composition. But right. if you take a moment to think about the narrative, even if that's the correct narrative or not, right. um, you're able to uh, build that into your world, and I think that's important. Yeah, that was really interesting. That was a really interesting moment for me too. Just to talk through that with you, um, seeing it, and thinking, I just wish there was a couple more inches on the sides for these for this print to breathe. And then you realize, well, yeah, it's sort of the point is that these women are trapped in an environment that's being polluted, and there's a realization that it's happening, but an inability to change it. That's sort of the sense of the underlying composition there too. So, yeah, pretty fascinating print. What about you? Um, there's a couple that come to mind that are, are pretty engaging. Um, the one with the GIF. Who says GIF? Who says GIF? I say GIF. Who says GIF? It's actually supposed to be GIF. It GIF. is supposed to be yeah. GIF. Okay. Yeah. GIF seems to feel right, right? I know that's right, what right? I always said, but of course the guy who GIF. Yep. GIF. He's, okay, well, the designer prefers GIF. Okay. Set it in stone. So we have an animation of, uh, of the print. And uh, as I understand it from the artist's statement, he actually made five, four or five different prints, screen prints, and then uh, strung them together in a, in a GIF and then and sent me that file. So he looped it and put it in the TV as well. So what I like about this is we've never had an animation in this show before, so that's kind of a new thing. And then also uh, that it you know plays with Photoshop and technology, but it also embedded in the image. Oh my God! It just turned off. Renee, Renee, did you just did you just break did you just break the TV. <laughs> That's part of it. Wow, well, you just broke it. it. It's been fine for weeks. Oh, All right, there you go. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's the Russians. Yeah, the Russians are doing it. Um, inside, in the imagery, in the background imagery is a, a, one of the earliest um, movies, uh, one of the earliest examples of film that still exists. And it's just a simple, uh, couple, uh, simple bit of footage of a couple twirling. And so he's, he's so, sort of embedded within this more technological image, uh, the, his, the history of moving pictures, too. So I talk a lot in some of my classes about the history of film and its relationship to photography and painting and film and how they all blended it together in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, so I've always been sort of fascinated with that notion of early film and its relationship to theater and painting. And that print sort of pulls it all together. Um, so that's one that, I, that I'm interested in. Uh, Cassie. Our alum who's in the show also did something like, like that with her piece down there, which is an image of her grandmother that she um, put together as a screen print, but she drew it on her iPad. So she is 
using her our everyday contemporary digital technology to create a somewhat nostalgic image. It has a sense of a older or an old time sort of um, portrait. Um, You're doing that a little bit too, as well. With, with. Yeah, course, with I mean, Pee Wee. You're, you're definitely. I mean, it's not as old as right. the first right. image, but you know, certainly a lot you're, of nostalgia. About, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, five years ago plus. And deeply socially significant. Well, also, yeah. like, utilizing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, Pee Wee Herman has a lot of uh, social significance. One <laughs> <laughs> well, with the way that it was processed, too. Yeah, yeah, playing with the digital. Yeah, playing with the digital. pretty digital, and you're utilizing the. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, for anyone that's curious, the image of Pee Wee Herman is actually printed with Sharpie pens. Uh, using a plotter. So um, in commercial printing, it's separated into color separations and they're layered on top of one another. So CMYK is the typical traditional printing method, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And um, So what colors did you use of the Sharpies? The Sharpies, Sharpies come in cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. So it's pretty straightforward, yeah. They have different they have red and magenta, and they have cyan, and they have blue, and you, you can kind of play with them to get different effects. But yeah, I, I broke them into the normal. Sometimes I change them into, I use those layers, but I use different color Sharpies to just to play with it. But yeah, I, it's a very typical historical process, but uh, just with Sharpie pens, so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I connected to it with moving pictures in that I thought of a TV image. It was from Netflix. I just shot it off the off the TV. Oh, you did with your with my cell phone. Right. Yeah. So I took a picture of Netflix with my cell phone, and then I separated it out into the typical method, and then printed it with uh, with Sharpie pens. Did so. you put it on pause? No, it was just a. Uh, it was, it was moving. It was moving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's at a weird angle too. That's why it's all. Wacky. That's one reason why it's all wacky. <laughs> I don't know what what other ones. Uh, I, the uh, the image by uh, Mickey McDowell is actually printed on both sides of the paper, so it's a film still or a photograph, and it's printed with traditional um, photogravure process. Although it might have been digitally. The Did she specifically plate. say? Photogravure? It's photogravure, but I don't think it's copper. I think it's probably. Uh, I mean, the, it plastic. looks to me like it's photopolymer. Photopolymer, photopolymer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is something that is similar, but um, yeah, easier. It's a, it's a it's a traditional process of getting very rich tones um, uh, from a photographic uh, um, negative or positive. I mean, uh, but then she printed on both sides of a piece of uh, fairly thin Asian paper. So you can see one side of it coming through, and it has a nice shadowy um, uh, narrative that's happening with it. Oh, so it's the same image? It's the same image, just on both sides. And it's clo is it closely registered? Well, yeah, it's just flipped. So yeah. exactly in the same place, but on the back. So it looks like a shadow, it's but then a, you notice that it, yeah. It's a chincolet, so it's a bleed. Yeah, so a bleed on So you the wouldn't... There's... Uh, the plate mark is... Um, probably added in like there's a plate marker around it but that probably might yeah. have been like she probably printed it first on the back side 
and then printed it on the other side, so there's only one plate mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the colored area of the rectangle is a piece of uh, uh, Japanese paper, and then that is then glued to the white paper. So it's actually two pieces of paper uh, pressed together, and they call that shinkoe. Um, the the one next to Neil's, I call it that just because it's it's the process is so con convoluted for such a simple image. I, I want to call it out just because it's so interesting. You wouldn't know it from just looking at it. But he, it's a the, it's a flip book. If you were to fold that up, you could make a flip book out of it. But it's actually a levigator, which is a thing that you would use to grind a, a lithographic stone. So it's sort of an archaic, semi-archaic um, technical tool for printmaking. But he drew it in a, in a 3D, uh, like a SketchUp or AutoCAD program. He drew the Levigator in AutoCAD. Then he put it onto a screen, he screen printed it onto a stone, lithostone, in asphaltum. With asphaltum. And then he drew on the stone with the, with the stone crayon, and then he printed it. So it has this super crazy mix of uh, digital process and traditional lithographic process. Hmm. Uh, it's all mixed up to make this, in the end, a very spare kind of animated image. And that's how he got the shadows, which I thought was kind of cool. Because I'm an architect, and yeah. you can you can run a building through all the all the different. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, he moves the model, the 3D model. No, but he actually drew the shadows by hand. That's the weird thing. He oh, just yeah. changed the model shape on on, and he took he took screen pics with his. Uh, with the screen capture, I think, on your desktop or oh, whatever. He, he didn't use the no. light source? <laughs> it's a, no, it's a really <laughs> he strange... He drew that by hand. Yeah. Because I was so thinking, bizarre. what a good idea. That would be too easy. It's really well, hard to figure out. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting in its simplicity and yeah. its complication. Like, yeah. That's the thing that stands out is that could be uh, a drawn crayon yeah. in two hours. He could have drawn that in two hours, yeah, but he probably but spent he went, hours like, on it. He went the, through the CAD <laughs> process and then he converted into a screen print and then he had to screen print it with asphaltum, let the asphaltum dry, etch that, then go in with crayon, yeah. etch that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's taking something, which, I mean, I guess we all do, like, taking something that could be done in... In, there's a real uh, poetry there, and there's, so so that's the thing for yeah. me that is so well, interesting he about it. Any, anyone anyone who spent like twelve hours uh, on talking to Apple through customer care or something <laughs> totally or passwords. Last week I had a password meltdown. It was like I lost two days the password meltdown. Oh. You know, like <laughs> trying to figure out my password, trying to figure out how to get the password of the password to get into this other. You know, it's crazy. So. The digital techniques are supposed to make it easier, and sometimes they make it. I, I think there's some poetry there with that one. It's a very simple, spare image, but when you read the book about how he made it, and if you know anything about lithography, to do digital modeling, screen printing, and lithography all together, it's just madness. It's yeah. on the point of madness with that image. So <laughs> maybe the other one in that same bank, we got Neil, uh, Jesse, and then this last guy. Um, Peter, is that his name? Peter Christensen. That's a digital image, but um, let's, let me just read a little bit from this statement because it's, it's pretty interesting as well. Um, 
Deconstruction via trains is an ongoing series of works including glitch and data bent videos and archival prints produced entirely while traveling via train. The selected print for the exchange depicts three intentionally glitched panoramas produced on an iPad during ScotRail trips through the United Kingdom in 2015. Several of the digitally fabricated works are part of the Dundonian Diaries Cultural Capital Collection. I don't know what that is, but and have been archived with an assortment of serographs as a limited edition artist book in permanent collections uh, in the Visual Research Center at Dundee Contemporary Arts. So this artist is showing a lot in Europe, and he was traveling on the train, and he purposefully glitched the photographs um, and combined them on his laptop while, he, while he's traveling. So it's about traveling, it's about the digital experience and the, the moving experience. So they're moving pictures in a literal way. They're, Images capturing movement in an interesting way. So, you it's know, like a stutter. It's like a stutter. There's like a lot of stuttering and uh, the purposefully glitched images. We've had a few of those in past editions of this portfolio, but um, his was kind of the purest digital print that we've received in our editions. Uh, I guess you guys, both of you, are print. Most of the work is done in the computer, and then the image is printed out. So there's a Real a range in this edition between a very um, traditional process of printing on a press uh, to the thing done almost entirely in the computer and then printed out. That's another interesting part of it. Well, I was su surprised to see those. Is it commonly um, common to embrace the digital print? I think, uh, you know. I, I can only gauge that with my experience with Allison because she's the one running these editions in the past and that two or three years ago we probably would have been a little more uncomfortable. Um, but starting last year and this year I think we're just acknowledging that that's uh, a lot of where you know printmaking and, and traditional printmaking and digital printmaking they're all really getting super mixed up now. So Yeah because you use the processes to get to the artwork. Yeah. It's just a name. Yeah, it's just another process. I now, mean, so. printmaking was made for multiples. It was made for dissemination of information. Digital was made for dissemination of information in multiples. We could fight it as much as we want, but is it worth? <clears throat> is it worth fighting it? Yeah. I don't. I would say no. I would say it's it's good enough. Well, in, in each iteration of printmaking, it's been the technology of the day, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, and there's always been a pushback from. Every single process has had a pushback. Yeah. Um, well, from the digital outsider looking in, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we were glad to get an actual comic book panel. It yeah. was exciting to get a piece. It was fun to be part of it. Yeah. All right, does anyone have any questions? Um, any work? Any questions for Joseph or Neil? Or? Are you making a folio this time? Uh, yes, we didn't get the folio printed. We were working on it. We're still working on it. Um, we only had the colophon in the in the box, but yeah, there'll be a folio. Yeah, so there's a folder. These sometimes these come in boxes. Sometimes they just come in envelopes. We're making a folder, a, a book cover basically, and uh, we, you'll you'll receive your stack of prints inside of this cover that you can unfold and flip through. So thanks. What happens to the other two oh, sorry. copies? No. Oh, the two copies stay here. One copy goes to the gallery, one copy goes to the library. Huh? Yeah. Uh, no.
for you. Did you decide in your color scheme? Your colors are striking compared to everything else. Did yeah. you pick colors first, or did you illustrate and then color, or was it a... <clears throat> Color was always on my mind. So I've always been a fan of kind of garish, primary, you know, think back to, you know, early Italian horror cinema um, or even Disney Haunted Mansion kind of palettes. Um, so even when I storyboarded this out in pencil, I was already kind of thinking ahead to some of the palettes I wanted to use both for the more naturalistic scenes and then for, you know, either the, the bright scarlet or or kind of magenta hues of the, the unreal. Um, yeah. Yeah, a great question. Yeah, and the layer the layers on there too. Are, are there, when you're digitally painting, mm -hmm. are you painting with a lot of transparent layers? Layers and layers and layers, mostly yeah. because I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> and I like to go back and tweak things and, and really uh, hone the color balance after the fact. Yeah. Um, but, in this particular one, I didn't use any textures. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I, I would, especially in my earlier work, I would kind of over-rely on texture overlays. Mm -hmm. um, and I have been weaning myself off that. So mm -hmm. I have a single kind of faux uh, paper texture overlay mm -hmm. over the entire image. Mm -hmm. But then everything else is just by hand. Just straight, uh, transparent uh, layers of color. Straight up drawn on my ratty old Wacom. Yeah, CS6, that's great. I have CS6 on my laptop, too. And uh, there's some inter interesting problems with translating back and forth, but mm -hmm. it's it's 10 years old now, and it works, <laughs> it works really well. <laughs> yeah. uh, any other questions? No? Anyone? All right, well, thank you, everyone, for coming, and... Um, We'll hang out for a while. If you have questions for the artist, please ask. Otherwise, thanks again. Thank you. Every artist, their statement about the meaning and the process for their work is in this book, so feel free to check it out. Um, this has been Q&A, recorded in the Kadich Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Kadich and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University Copyright 2017 and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.